Welcome to the Awesomers.com podcast. If you love to learn, and if you're motivated to expand your mind, and heck, if you desire to break through those traditional paradigms and find your own version of success, you are in the right place. Awesomers around the world are on a journey to improve their lives and the lives of those around them. We believe in paying it forward, and we fundamentally try to live up to the great Zig Ziglar quote, where he said, you can have everything in your life you want if you help enough other people get what they want. It doesn't matter where you came from, it only matters where you're going. My name is Steve Simonson, and I hope you will join me on this awesomer journey. If you're launching a new product manufactured in China, you will need professional, high-resolution, Amazon-ready photographs. Because Simo Global has a team of professionals in China, you will oftentimes receive your listings photographs before your product even leaves the country. This streamlined process will save you the time, money, and energy needed to concentrate on marketing and other creative content strategies before your item is in stock and ready for sale. Visit simoglobal.com to learn more, because a picture should be worth 1,000 keywords. You're listening to the Awesomers Podcast. Hey, it's episode number 15 of the Awesomers Podcast, and we've got a super secret insider tip for you. If you go to awesomers.com slash 15, you'll be able to find the relevant show notes, links, and details that we talk about today, so you don't have to worry about keeping track of it yourself. That's awesomers.com slash 15, and we're going to have all the show notes there for you to try to make your life a little bit easier. Today's guest is Michael Binkowski, who I've known for almost uh, 20 years probably. Uh, Michael has been involved in e-commerce since building his very first transactional website in 1998. That's right, kids, 1998. That's a long time ago. Since that time, he's used his expertise to help multiple companies find success on the Internet. In fact, he was the CEO, COO of iFloor as they grew from a startup, $0 in revenue to $50 million in sales in less than five years and was also the director of marketing for ATG Stores, which was acquired by Lowe's, on their journey from about 50 million to over 100 million. Uh, Since that time, he's founded his own companies, brought his expertise to half a dozen other e-commerce companies. And uh, at this time, Michael's putting all his energy on this new entrepreneurial-focused startup called Parsimony.com, which is a complete ERP system for e-commerce entrepreneurs. Michael earned his MBA in finance and marketing from Ohio State University, and he and his wife Jennifer, of over 30 years, by the way, his wife of over 30 years, have the two best boys in the world and live in Bellevue, Washington, just east of Seattle. His battle cry, as always, is go be strong. Michael is a great guy and an advocate for awesomers and entrepreneurs around the world and definitely has the experience that all of us can can learn from. And I want to give a little full disclosure that I started Parsimony along with Michael, and this has been a passion project of ours and something that we've worked on in terms of developing software and comprehensive system for systems for companies for going on uh, really 20 years. Uh, and it, it's really a fun method of bringing systemization to companies around the globe. All right, welcome back, awesomers.com. Coming back to you on the podcast. And today we're joined uh, by a very special guest, an old friend, Michael Pikowski. Michael, how are you? Good, Steve. How are you? Very well, indeed. And I'm looking forward to sharing kind of your awesomer origin story. Some of the pieces that I know uh, may be better than the average uh, listener, for sure. Uh, how long have we known each other, Michael? Uh, I came up to you, from Portland to you in, uh, in 2000. Yeah, so... Uh, that's a long time for those keeping score at home. Uh, so, uh, so again, thank you for joining us, Michael. We're going to talk uh, again about kind of where you came from and uh, and let uh, some of the awesomers out there listening know that you know e- even guys who've accomplished a lot, even though uh, there's a lot of experience behind you, that we all kind of go go through the same stuff. And uh, uh, I think awesomers out there love to hear it. So uh, maybe you could start out. Uh, where do you live now, and and kind of what are you up to in general terms? So I'm, uh, we're in, in Bellevue and have been in the same house for, I don't know, 16 years, which is a real change. I was from, from my youth. I moved a ton as a, as a kid. Uh, but Bellevue is just outside of Seattle, pretty close to you. Um, beautiful community, uh, really hilly and stuff. If you're, not, if you're from, from some of the flat parts, uh, you'll get lost out here winding around the hills. Boy, it is, uh, <laughs> it's a really beautiful area, that's for sure. And you live on a specific hill yourself, as I recall. 
Uh, yeah, we're up on, on Somerset Hill. Yeah, like it's a really tall hill, and uh, it is not easy finding your way around those uh, beautiful areas. So, um, all right, well, so, uh, and then what, are you, what, what keeps you busy these days? Well, we're working on this project we call Parsimony, which is the, it's a, it's a chunk of software that lets you run your business, specifically a marketplace business. And it sits in between QuickBooks, which is, you know, sort of like a pretty good, you know, checking account type software. Um, and then something like a NetSuite or an Oracle or an SAP or something that uh, can run your business, but it's going to cost you a hundred, 200, 500,000 bucks um, a year to, to do it. So there's all these businesses in the middle that, that need software to run their business more efficiently. And there aren't a ton of great answers. And especially for marketplace e-commerce companies, it's, it's especially tough. Um, so we think we've identified an opportunity um, to take some software and, and fit it in there and make it work for these guys. And I am desperately trying to get it launched because there's a whole bunch of folks that need it. Well, it is a big need. And uh, full disclosure for everybody out there that I am uh, a shareholder in Parsimony. And uh, it's kind of uh, something that Michael and I worked on uh, many years ago, building a, a software platform called Parsimony. And this is just kind of a modern iteration of that. So we'll talk more about that later. Uh, as most of the regular listeners know, uh, Parsimony is one of our sponsors. And, uh, and it is really important for entrepreneurs to build systems. And this is a system of systems by, uh, yeah. by uh, no doubt about that. Would you agree, Michael? Absolutely. Absolutely. It, it, you, you, it, it lets you run your whole business. Yeah, for sure. And that's, uh, again, we'll probably dive back in. Uh, but before we do that, uh, we're going to take a quick break and dive into your uh, kind of origin story. Where did you begin and, and so forth? Uh, we'll be right back after this. Hey, Amazon Marketplace professionals, congratulations on your success to date. Your creativity, strategic vision, problem solving, and discipline have allowed you to build your own e-commerce business. Wouldn't it be great if you had more time to focus on the things that truly drive the sales and growth of your company? Instead of getting lost in a dozen different services and countless spreadsheets, what if there was one system that connected to your Amazon account and automatically gave you the information that you needed to make great decisions and really impact your business? Parsimony ERP can do that. Parsimony is the business operating system for your marketplace business. With Parsimony, you get true double entry bookkeeping, easy financial statements, full customer service tools, and item by item profitability, along with project and task management, and more features are being added all the time. Learn more at parsimony.com. That's parsimony, P-A-R-S-I-M-O-N-Y.com. Parsimony.com. We've got that. Okay, here we are. We're back again and talking to Michael Pinkowski, parsimony.com. And we're just talking about his origin. Where did he begin and uh, how did things uh, get started? So, uh, Michael, where were you born? Uh, born in Chicago, but, and I'll do this as fast as I can, uh, it went sub suburban Chicago. So, Chicago to Denver to Chicago to Denver to another part of Chicago to Minneapolis to Portland. And then I entered the fourth grade. <laughs> wow, that's a lot of movie. <laughs> and then in my professional career, it was uh, Portland, uh, San Francisco, Miami, uh, Columbus, Ohio for graduate school, uh, a couple of, well, uh, Pennsylvania, Delaware, New Jersey, all working for the same company, but three different states. Uh, and then back out to Portland. And then one day I met you and came up to Seattle. And like I said, I've been here for uh, 18 years. So I'm yeah, sure enough. Off. That's, uh, uh, I don't remember the old Johnny cash song, but uh, I've been everywhere. It rings a bell. So, uh, that's, uh, you could give Johnny cash a run for money. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, oh, now what about your parents? What kind of background, uh, did they come from? Um, uh, well, mom and dad, I mean, I've got six sisters. Uh, so, uh, mom, mom was home a lot taking care of kids. Uh, dad started in sales and marketing, and then uh, and he worked in a couple of things. At one point, he was selling uh, flexible tubing. So think of a corrugated metal tube that you could that you could bend to fit. And he ended up selling some of that to guys making rockets. And my dad knew nothing about rockets, but you know the job was sell the stuff, and and he did. Um, and then I worked for Boise Cascade on the lumber and paneling side for quite a while, and that's really what brought us out to Portland. Um, and then they said they wanted to move again. And dad said, I, I can't move again. Uh, he said, I, you just don't understand. It's, it's, I got too many kids and starting over too many schools. It's just too hard. 
So uh, he quit and um, and like a couple, well, then there was a, he got hired on as a contractor for a little bit. But after that, he got a call from a neighbor that said, hey, um, I'm a shareholder in a company that's just doing terrible. And uh, we'd like you to come on and see if you can, you know, they need some sales. You could sell some stuff. And they were doing um, what they used to call ethical drugs. This would be pharmaceuticals, you know, um, before the FDA really started cracking down on that stuff. And dad Dad's, dad came back to the shareholder one day and he says, hey, the, the owner's a drunk. Sell some stuff. <laughs> and uh, so they finally ran him out and, uh, and dad said, okay, well, it's, it's good that he's gone, but now who's going to run the place? And the one shareholder said, well, I can't do it. I'm a prestigious professor up at, a, uh, at the medical school. And, and the other shareholder said, well, I'm a really prestigious attorney here in town. I, I can't do it. Uh, but Andy, you know, it's like you're there every day. Why don't you run it? And so my dad found himself um, part owner and eventually full owner of um, of a company manufacturing vitamins and nutritional supplements and selling them into, well, finally, his big customer was Costco. Um, and he was doing, you know, tens of millions of dollars uh, with Costco and uh, and then sold the company. And he's now happily retired and living with mom down in Portland and traveling and doing great. I love it. Even even your dad uh, found an entrepreneurial uh, twist uh, at, at the end there. That's amazing. Yeah, uh, yeah. yeah. And I, as I recall, I, I remember us talking about some of his Costco uh, uh, stories and so forth. Uh, it's very interesting times back then, for sure. And this was before kind of the pharmaceuticals or supplements or whatever became a big craze that they are today. Yeah, he was in at the front end of that thing. Yeah. Uh, when they first started, when Costco started to realize, well, first of all, Costco was growing and then they realized, hey, there was money to be made here. Um, and, and dad got a chance to participate in that whole wave. Uh, you alluded earlier to, uh, some place in the Midwest that, uh, doesn't ring a bell, but, uh, it was re university related. Where did you go to university? Well, so I got my undergrad at a little tiny college in Oregon, a place called Linfield. Uh, and I did, I got a business administration was, was the degree. And then I worked for a couple of companies and I just, I realized that I was going to be in sales the rest of my life. And, and it, really wasn't me. I, I could do it, but I never, it, it was not a part of my why, you know? Um, and uh, so I, my dad had been barking at me since high school to get an MBA. So my wife of less than one year and I sat down and talked one day and, and uh, I said, we got to do something. And so we went to Columbus, Ohio, to the Ohio State University. And uh, I came out with a double major, one in finance and one in marketing uh, and got an MBA there. There you go. And how did you like that experience, by the way? That was an extraordinary experience. Um, I, I, I would love to go back to school tomorrow. Uh, there's just something about, you know, wrestling with those puzzles and problems and, and having heated discussions um, uh, with your classmates about stuff. We used to, <laughs> we used to go to the cafeteria and, and just like I suppose athletic kids, you know, go and, and hang out someplace. We would sit in the, the student union uh, with our muffins and our coffees and talk smack about Jack Welch. And, uh, <laughs> you know, what's he doing? He's crazy. Neutron Jack, he knows nothing. We've got it all figured out. You know, <laughs> you know like a couple of kids with baseball cards trying to figure out, you know, the, the great game of baseball. <laughs> we were just talking smack with the Wall Street Journal and stock prices. Yeah, I love the, the uh, that's one of those, uh, you know, inmates running the asylum uh, concepts, right? <laughs> <laughs> the college kids can tell Jack Welch the way it is, uh, even though it was the most valuable company on the planet at the time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right, I love this. So, um, uh, one of the things that, uh, you know, I always like to kind of dig into, what, what was your first real proper job? Uh, you know, maybe where you got a W-2. Um, uh, so I worked for my dad for a while and, and got W-2'd, but my real job out of college was selling conveyor belt. Um, again, Pacific Northwest, tons of lumber um, going on. So I had sawmills, paper mills, uh, sand and gravel pits. Um, a number of uh, agricultural places. All these guys had conveyor belt and they had industrial hose. And, um, and, and I, I had a, you know, a route, basically. I had a, a couple of territories. And I would climb in the car in the morning and I would go and check with them and just see if they needed you know, what we called industrial supplies. Um, fire hoses, air hoses, uh, cleats on their conveyor belt, rubber mats, all sorts of couplings and, and belt hinges and stuff like that. 
And, and I loved it because I got to go into all kinds of, of businesses and, uh, and see, you know, I, I can tell you a lot about um, uh, how to make veneer. Um, and I can tell you how to make uh, two by fours and rough hewn lumber and what planers do and joiners. And uh, I can tell you about um, sizing gravel in a, in a pit. Uh, I can tell you about how they make uh, French fries with a water uh, jet. Um, I've, I've had a chance to be in those facilities, see those things happen, and it, it feeds my learner. It feeds my curiosity about how do things work? What, you know, what is this thing that's going on? And I, I, was, you know, I was young and single at the time, so a paper mill will shut down at Christmas time, and, and they will do you know, maintenance. So we got called all the time to go and put in a, uh, a conveyor belt here or there, and you know, they need a new hog chipper belt. Um, at you know down at the Westland. You know, that's a note to self uh, and the audience. Check your hog chippers, everyone. Let's keep those maintained well. <laughs> um, and uh, so on Christmas morning, you know, when you know all my sisters were running around, um, I would jump in the car, and uh, you know, we'd be meeting at, at a donut shop at six, uh, so that we could be in the plant at seven, and we'd be stringing conveyor belt over the pulleys and and uh, over the master pulley and. Uh, you know, getting it all set up and running uh, so that when they came back to work at the end of the week, they had, you know, working conveyor belts. And I got a chance to be in the plant, vulcanizing rubber and, and stuff like that. It was awesome. That's crazy. Uh, what a, what a, uh, a journey from industrial kind of sales and implementation all the way through to uh, now technology. Uh, it's, uh, <laughs> there's been probably a twist or two in the wind as well. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So uh, let me ask you this. So based on where you are today and maybe from that first job, what's the defining moment uh, or perhaps moments that, that kind of set you on the course uh, that, uh, you know, took you where you are today? Well, so I'll, I'll try to keep this short because I guess this is only a four-hour podcast. So I'll... <laughs> That's, well, the, we break it into three chunks. It's four hours times three. So we're <laughs> <hours>, uh, Okay. <laughs> Um, so I was working, uh, I, I went to graduate school at, at the Ohio State University, but I needed to pay for it. Um, uh, my dad was still putting my sisters through college. Um, so I had to figure out what was I going to do. So my wife got a job and, and then I needed to get a job. So I'd go to school all day and I, I found a job not six blocks away from our apartment, um, at a little bit of a technology company called CompuServe. And back before the internet was the internet, there was CompuServe. And you would, they, they, they were owned by H&R Block, and they would put these uh, custom-made computers, I think they called them PDP-10s, and they would put them in the back closet of all of these H&R Block offices around the country and connect them to phone lines. And then you would dial into a local number on a modem with all of the buzzing and clicking that, you know, geez, my kids have no idea what those sounds are now. And, um, and you would dial in at, you know, 1,200 baud, 2,400 baud, um, and be able to connect to these, uh, to this community, right? And, um, and I loved it. So I did com uh, customer service. Uh, and I would get there at, after school between, you know, some days we were out at three, some days we were out at five. So I'd show up between four and six and work until midnight um, on customer service. Um, and then I'd go home and, and sleep for a couple hours and and it catch the six o'clock bus going into campus uh, so that I could get some homework done, talk smack about Jack Welch, uh, and go to classes all day. Um, so I, I had this great experience learning about a connected community, learning about technology, and you know you could download images, you know you could download software, um, you could download stock prices, and and uh, you could talk about whatever you wanted to talk about, and it was just really cool. So. Uh, I get done with that, and I've got my MBA, and I get a job working for a uh, flooring manufacturer in New Jersey, um, deep deep south side, right down around Wilmington and Philadelphia, uh, uh, but on the on the Jersey side. And I would walk in there um, carrying my my Macintosh 512K that I paid six thousand bucks for, um, and uh, and and I would plop it on my desk. And the executives were proud that they subscribed to a clipping service, right, to keep track of their competitors. And that meant that every quarter they got copies of newspaper articles from around the country, you know. Well, I turned on my computer. I'd get in at six. I'd turn my computer on. I had a clipping folder, but it was digital, right? And so if I saw Armstrong or uh, Congolium or somebody like that, 
I got the article and I could print it out and go to the copy machine and make six copies and then slide them under all the executives' doors. So they come in in the morning and they had this news headline that, you know, might be in that morning's Wall Street Journal, but maybe not. Um, and, you know, boom, ready to go. So I was trying, I was working at this company. I was trying to say we could do so much with technology and they were old school. They had this huge IBM mainframe in a glass enclosed room uh, just like Mad Men, right? And, um, and the, the programmers, there were only like four people allowed in the room and they wore a, a lab coat when they were in there and stuff. And meanwhile, I'm down the hall running circles around them on a personal computer that I bought. So then we went into a new line of business. We'd been residential, we went into commercial. And, and, and there were long-term established players there. And they had totally depreciated all of their equipment their cost of goods, you know, they were doing huge volumes. They got great deals on raw materials. They had no new machinery expenses, no depreciation to worry about. And we show up and we've got to build a new plant at modern day prices. And we don't have any sales volume or relationships. Um, we've got no buying power, nothing, you know. And we're trying to launch this product. And the strategy was we're going to do it on color because the colors that were out there were boring and we were going to do it on bright colors. And that was going to appeal to designers and architects. They were going to say, wow, I want this product because I can make this beautiful space and I can only do it with these colors. So I thought we've so, really got to get cozy. Yeah, let me jump in there. So just to recap for our, our audience, the, the idea of you know having a, an entrenched competitor who's already dominating the market, who already has all their equipment paid for and kind of their supply chain dialed in is not to go in at price. This is the, the, the point. They went in and said, you know what? We're going to have to do this on color and we're going to have to differentiate in a unique way. Uh, carry yeah. on, Michael. I think that's yeah. very interesting. So, so and, and then we knew that the, the, you, the flooring contractor wasn't going to care about color, right? You needed to get a project specified. Uh, so a designer and an architect are putting in a new hospital. They're putting in a new uh, school, uh, a new shopping area. Uh, you needed to get them to say, wow, I can look at, I can, the, the colors of my logo are available in this floor tile. Um, the, the colors that, that make the statement that I want to make are available in these things. So you really needed to talk to them. And we did a lot of it with print advertising and stuff, but I started, I was, meanwhile, I've still got this computer, right? And I'm still using it to do all this stuff. And I'm thinking, architects and designers are forever behind the eight ball. They're forever trying to catch up They're and they're, and we knew that they were adopting stuff digitally. They were moving to CAD and stuff like that. And I said, we have an opportunity to take a technological advantage of, of our competitors. And we can, we can jump in here and be the sort of the digital version of a, of a flooring company. And we can have high speed sample programs. We can have, you know, beautiful images on the website and stuff like that. And, and we, and I got our advertising agency to quote uh, $10,000 for a website. And I thought, whoa, that's a lot of money. Uh, this is whatever, 1995. Uh, and, um, you know, that's, that's a lot of dough. And I said, how does it work? Is there something we can do? They said, how does your microwave work? You don't need to know how something works. <laughs> we know how it works. It's $10,000. <laughs> and um, so, uh, Anyways, I kept kind of fighting this fight because I just said there's a strategic opportunity here to take our story directly to the decision makers with the thing that they want. We, we can take our story directly to them and, and then the, the, the product of the color is there. And we knew we had good quality. And, uh, and I just, I felt really, really strongly about it. I've been on this project for probably three years at this point. I had been in dozens of focus groups. I'd traveled the country. I'd talked to dozens of flooring contractors and architects and uh, I'd, I'd done all my homework and I knew this was it. Uh, and at that time, uh, we went through another round of a new chairman, new president, new director of marketing in, in our group. And the guy that came in was old school. I say old school, he's like my age now. Um, and, uh, and, and he said, so what's this internet thing? And I said, you know, it's, it's a key part of our strategy and here's why it's gonna be a winner. And he said, no, it's not. And I, at this point, I had invested too much into it. I, I had sunk every, and, and I knew it. After a while, you just kind of know you're there. And I said, no, it, this is it. And he finally, it, it kept escalating. You know, he kept saying no, and I kept saying yes. And he finally said, listen, you need to let go of this. 
And if you can't let go of it, you need to leave. And I said, make me an offer. And he gave me three months severance and I left. Uh, and I went back out to Portland where my folks were, brought my wife with me and, and we decided to become you You're know, West Coast to people. The and uh, I started my own company, uh, building websites for flooring companies that were desperate to take advantage of this opportunity to disseminate information over the internet. <laughs> It, so, is, it is such a funny thing to think back about, you know, uh, people still resisting the internet. You know, uh, today, no major company would have, uh, you know, a word to say about not having an internet presence. But back in the day, you know, people fought, you know, uh, the internet, it's a fad, it's irrelevant, it doesn't yeah. apply to us, whatever it is. It's just, it's nuts. It reminds me of the story of the founder of Atari who was offered uh, an investment. I think it was, I don't remember, it's $25,000 or some amount of money. Steve Jobs had worked at Atari, quit, said, I got this idea and uh, you can own 30% of the company or a third of the company, 33%, I suppose. Uh, and I don't remember if the number is 25,000, don't quote me on that, but some low amount. And the founder of Atari, who was rolling in at that point, it's like, no, I'll pass. <laughs> because, you know, he just didn't see the Apple vision. And, and at that point, that company didn't see the internet future. So uh, that defining moment took you out and put you on the road to then start building websites for people, whether they need it or not, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and at that point, I had, I had this, this background I'd built sort of around home furnishings, home improvement stuff. And, 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 this, and, and when you, at that point, I mean, I went out and I bought a server and I paid for a high-speed digital line to come in. At one point, I had my own Class C uh, IP address block. Um, and, and I had to learn how to do servers and how to do forms and, um, how to run payments and I had to figure out all this stuff. And, but, but it gave me this sort of, uh, background into how, you know, at least what the names of the building blocks were and how some of them worked. And, um, so that was really, you know, helpful. Uh, and then I met you and I got this sort of graduate school course in, uh, in e-commerce and all the stuff that, that we were doing. And then in the course of some other opportunities, I saw other companies doing stuff and how they went about it and different systems and, and stuff. And I always tried to stay relatively sharp and I still can't code my way out of a cotton bag, uh, but, but I, I can talk to a developer and say, where are we going? What are we doing? You know, uh, it needs to do this. Do you think this is the problem? And, and kind of hang in the conversation and get something done. Well, this is one of those challenges, you know, uh, Programming is designed to solve business problems, so it really does take a business perspective uh, to, you know, to deliver the right solution. But you, to be able to speak with, uh, uh, you know, uh, credibility and even understanding uh, with the, the code community and so forth, you know, it dates back that far. Uh, it definitely has been a, a long time coming. That. You know, today people take for granted how simple it is to make a web page and to have a full-fledged platform at your fingertips for such a small amount of money. Uh, you know, pick your pick your poison, whether it's Shopify or Wix or you know whatever the the uh, soup of the day is. But you know, back then I remember trying to get in 1996 trying to get text and an image just to line up, you know, on top of each other, and then try to do four of those was you know this is you know an HTML one. It was a nightmare. Yeah. Uh, very, very challenging. Today, it's much, much easier, but there are other challenges that exist tech-wise, that's for sure. Yeah. One day, I put a table inside a table, and it changed my life. Uh, <laughs> when when I discovered I could nest tables and, and, and use that to format stuff and get it to line up, boy, that, that changed my life. <laughs> yeah. What a, what a glorious day. Well, speaking of uh, um, uh, lessons learned, uh, is there a, a big lesson out there that you may have learned on your journey so far you want to share with uh, the folks out there? Yeah, so my son and I were talking about um, uh, survivor bias the other day, and that's the the other phrase for it is is you know history is written by the winners, right? And it's it's easy to listen to books, you know, I, I listen to a lot of books, uh, but to, to to go to books or podcasts or movies or newspaper articles and and say, boy, this guy was really successful. I should do what he did, and it's. It, and, and that's not, you know, if, if you want to make a really outstanding uh, computer company that's going to sort of take over the world, the secret is not to name it after a fruit. You know, that's, that's not the thing that makes the difference. I remember when Apple was out there, somebody was, was, there was an orange and a peach also, 
uh, thinking that must be the secret to to microcomputing, you know. So, <laughs> And then BlackBerry came later, so uh, completely <laughs> off the topic. Yeah, yeah. So, so I, I mean, I have failed a ton, and and I haven't really had any particular enormous success yet. I, I mean, if, if I had taken um, a regular desk job, I would arguably be further ahead, money wise, than I am today. I'd be miserable as hell because I have loved this this ride this roller coaster the the chance to learn stuff and experience it and 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 uh and and the opportunities that i've had even when i wasn't able to capitalize on them there's something about that opportunity that just makes you feel more alive for what you're doing but you know i, I talked about building websites well i did that for five years but i did not really succeed at it i i just didn't have the technical chops to kind of get over the hill on it and and uh, I mean, if you think the internet's moving fast now, it was also really screaming in those early days. There were, you know, new things happening, and there was it was hard to find out about them. Um, and then, um, so I did that. I had another time. I had my own business um, in the paintbrush industry and failed there. Uh, lost some investor money, um, and uh, and I've been in other companies that that failed. Um, I was at one company. Uh, as director of sales and marketing, uh, they said, Mike, if you can double sales in 90 days, uh, the job is yours permanent. And I doubled uh, sales in 70, 60 days, and in 70 days, they went under. <laughs> <laughs> well, see, you didn't listen to the instructions, Michael. He said 90 days. <laughs> That's the key. <laughs> but, but I guess the, the, the takeaway, because I don't want to, I mean, it's too easy to say, well, I'm going to do what the winner did, right? And that's not going to work for you. That, what you need to do is figure out what you're good at, what your strengths are, and and then then just keep getting back up on the bike um, and and keep trying. And uh, I'm going to be 60 this fall, and I'm hoping that around that time I'm going to be starting to say, "Wow, I think I'm going to find great success." You know, um, if I, I mean, when I was 25, I said I was going to retire at 55, and you know, now I'm going to retire at 75, but I'm having a ball, you know? So the lessons are, um, you know, figure out what you want, right? If, if all you want is money, then you really need to get into, you know, cocaine and, and uh, opium and, and things like that, because that's where the money is. Um, if what you really want is safety and security, go find a good desk job, someplace and, and then just cross your fingers because you're sort of at their whim and, and stuff is changing. But if what you want is to, to learn and to grow, put yourself into risky situations, take chances, fail, um, and then, you know, pick yourself up and get going uh, again. And, and don't, you know, none of it's ever personal. It's just a thing that happened and, and, uh, and dust yourself off and, and get going again. Um, and then just be open. Uh, I, I, again, as I said, I like, I'm a learner, I, I, but I, that defines a lot about what I believe in the world. You got to keep, you know, getting new ideas and trying to synthesize them and, and don't burn bridges, right? Cause you and I worked for a while and then we didn't. Um, but we still got together, uh, for a beer or, uh, some chips, you know, uh, a couple of times a year. And I still do that with everybody that I ever worked for. Uh, there's, there's nobody that I can't go back to and, and have a beer with. Um, the East Coast guys, I see them once in a while at a convention, you know, sometimes, but of the folks, you know, around here, um, I, I see all of them two or three times a year, have coffee, talk to them. They all want to know how I'm doing. Uh, they reach out to me and say, hey, Mike, would you talk to this guy? He needs some of your advice, you know. So don't burn bridges. Yeah, getting bitter over a bad circumstance will do nothing for you. Boy, yeah. Uh, excellent uh, series of uh, words of wisdom there. That's uh, very, very good lessons to be shared. Thank you for that. Um, so uh, along the, you know, along these lines, and awesomers kind of uh, are, are brought up to know that, you know, you have to, you have to take risk, you have to try to, to lean into, you know, the, the concept of fail fast, which is really just a lesson learned. Uh, everybody uses the word fail, like it's some big, you know, finish line, oh, fail, uh, game over. Uh, but really, it's just a, a part of the course as, as things go on. And there's nobody, there's nothing, including Apple or Amazon or any of them, that haven't had massive, massive failures along the way. And you just have to learn and get better and uh, iterate and, and move on. So 
very good lessons there. Um, but at any point uh, along the, the journey, not, not pointing to any specific area, but was there a time where you're just like, ah, this just ain't worth it. I want to, I know I'll be miserable, but I got to get me, you know, a cube job that, you know, I can just put my head down and kind of forget the, the, you know, crazy, you know, entrepreneurial side of the equation. Yeah. The, um, the, the paintbrush, uh, really kind of destroyed me. Um, uh, it happened, uh, uh, in the recession, uh, in the Great Recession, 2008, um, I thought I had a patentable product. I didn't. Um, and I had taken money from friends and family and, and strangers, um, and it just was not going to happen. And I, at that point, I, I told myself, I said, you, you've got entrepreneurialism and you can't have another drink. Uh, you will, uh, you, you know, you'll get uh, toasted and end up in a gutter again. You just, you cannot touch that, 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 uh, that sauce. Um, and, and so I, I did work a desk job for a long time and, and I got really frustrated because I'm an entrepreneurial guy, right? So I was trying to intrapreneur, right? And I ended up looking like the leader of the rebel forces, you know, and, and it caused problems inside the organization. Um, and then, so then I would move to another company and, and uh, try to get them going. And after a while they would say, yeah, but you know, you're, you're moving too fast on this thing or you're taking us in a different direction and, and we feel like you're slowing us down because you're going the other way or something. And uh, it, it was just all not a good fit for what, for what I'm good at. And now I'm in this situation where I've got everything on the line and, and I wake up in the morning and I go, God, what can I do? Because I got this goal, I got this thing I want to get done, and and where can I try to find a way to move it and 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 make it happen? And it's really it's it's as risky as anything I've ever done, and um, and, and I've never felt more optimistic about my future. Yeah, it's it's going to be great. It is a uh, it is a big risk and it's a big bet, uh, but it's it's for all the right reasons. And uh, I definitely uh, agree with you that you know sometimes. Uh, Giving up the the comfort or the stability and, and taking the risk is is worthwhile because um, it just when you when it pays off when you have that lifestyle or at least that that sense of just waking up and going I don't know what today is going to bring but it's going to be fun and even if I have some setbacks it's still you know I'm going to work out the problems that's that's a better way to live for sure well and all of those other failures you mean you those are bruises and bumps and stuff and you you do learn from it. Right, you you do say, "Wow, I am not doing that again," you know. Um, I, there's a difference between a uh, utility patent <laughs> and a design patent, and uh, and and you don't just think it's you know just because you got the design patent doesn't mean that you've got anything. And so there's that like huge mistake that you make where you say, "Well, but I've got a patent," and and you don't, right? And so all of these times that you fail, then when you get to a new situation and you evaluate it, you're a lot smarter. And, and I don't know how the, the guys, the, the, the men and women that are 25 years old, I don't know how they look at a, at a situation and, and sort of make the right choice. I honestly think some of them are lucky because uh, you can't possibly be able to bring another 40 years worth of business experience to bear and say, no, this is going to work, but here's why. You know, uh, I think they, they either get lucky or they've got an enormous amount of passion and energy and they just kind of will it to happen. But, but all of those failures are worth something. Uh, and they, they can help you understand, you know, how to evaluate a new opportunity, how to get through a new tough, uh, tough spot. And, and, uh, and they give you resources, people that, that you've met along the way that can get you through those troughs uh, to the other side. Yeah, for me, it's definitely just another slice of education. Even when we would have some um, issue, you know, or error or problem that was caused by one of the, the past companies I've had, we would just stand around and, and you know, people often would be, you know, gosh, this, you know, hurt us financially or this or that. And, and they're kind of waiting for the, the sky to fall. And it's like, hey, this is another degree at Oxford. Let's learn the lesson. Let's be smarter, you know. At least when it comes to decision making, my my general rule is don't make the same mistake twice, or if if twice, at least not three times. Yeah, and that's uh that's a that can be the defining way of kind of pivoting away from, uh you know problems and and towards a solution. So yeah. how about how about in your uh, professional life? Was there a best day that you look at and go, gosh, now that was a nice day. I I liked 
you know, uh, whatever that day was? <laughs> um, well, at one, when I was really young, I, uh, I was selling conveyor belt and uh, there was a huge uh, paper mill. Uh, Longview Fiber. They did corrugated paper, so it's not like you know uh, newsprint or toilet paper or something. It was huge corrugated plant, and they put out a big project to bid. And I was in there with guys that lived. I, I had to drive an hour to get to the plant, and the, I was competing with three other companies that literally were all within a mile of the plant. They made. They lived and died off the business that this plant would throw off. And I drove up from Portland and. Um, you know, kept knocking on the door, trying to find a, you know, project or whatever. And, uh, and they said, okay, we're going to do this huge expansion and there's all this conveyor belt and it's all going to be outdoors. And this is an area right by the Columbia river. So they get wind and rain and, and snow and ice, uh, sometimes, but the plants got to run. So the conveyor belts, and they didn't have infinite amounts of space. So they wanted to run some of the belts pretty steep and they would put a rubber cleat. Think of a like a, a three-quarter inch by three-quarter inch uh, black uh, bar that, that would uh, give some traction to keep these wood chips going up the hill, right? If they were just, and in bad weather, if it was a flat belt, the chips would just all slide to the bottom and make a mess and everything comes to a halt. But if you put the cleats on there, it just kind of keeps digging at it and, and pulling the chips all the way up, all the way up the hill. So they put the spec out and, and it was a big project. I, I reckon, I recall it being $180,000 worth of conveyor belt on, on a bunch of different projects. And maybe um, a third of it was cleated conveyor belt. And some people made some of that in mass production, but most of it was made by hand. You would have these hot molds and you put raw uh, rubber in there and drop them into a press. And I think you had to get it to something like 300 degrees and a certain amount of pressure for a half hour and then you'd pop them off, you know, lift the press, pop the mold off, and you would have vulcanized the rubber, uh, the raw rubber, into the conveyor belt and created this, this pattern. Uh, so, it, you know, you went from, if, if it was a flat belt, it cost, I don't know, you know, 10 bucks a foot. And if it was a cleated belt, it cost $35 a foot. You know, it's, you know, still the same width, same length, everything else, but the, the, putting the cleats on it added a ton of cost. So we get this opportunity, and, and again, I'm just a you know young kid, single, not doing anything, and I'm uh, sitting on the floor of my room, and I'm I'm looking at these specs, and I go, man, the, the the guy that engineered this thing didn't engineer it very well. I mean, I'm not that smart, but this this the the spacing is too tight. It's it's going to be you know more raw material, but mostly time. It's just got to be in the presses a lot longer to run all these molds. So I went and I found all the older guys that knew stuff. And I said, I want to take this spec. I'm, I'm going to, you know, we can quote their spec, but I want to build a new spec. And I want to convince these guys that they can save money by spreading out these cleats, by changing the angle and by changing the, the size, um, they can save a bunch of money and not change performance at all, right? If you're trying to move a thing, it chips up, whether you've got cleats on six inch centers, 12 inch centers, 18 inch centers, doesn't really change the capacity of the belt very much. Um, so I, I, I re-spec'd it and, and did it on the down low. I went to the purchasing guys and I'm a kid. I'm, I'm 24, 25 years old. Um, and I'm in with guys that have been walking this plant for 30 years. They go to the same softball games, the same churches as the buyers do, all that stuff. And somehow they let me keep my secret. And I had a, this big meeting with the engineers and my headquarters guys wanted to come to the meeting. And I said, no, I got it. And this was my idea. I've verified it with the veterans that, that know how to do this stuff. They tell me that it feels good. I'm going to go in and pitch my idea. And I did. And they accepted the spec. And I got the single largest order in the history of the company. Wow. Um, on that. <laughs> That's an amazing story. So I love the fact that we, you know, we've just talked about how great experience is, but it turns out innovation and uh, bringing unique approaches to a, solving a problem are valuable at any time, which is yeah, of course, always true. Yeah. Uh, I, I love that idea of just figuring out another way to do stuff. So the, the single largest uh, order uh, in terms of the company history. That's uh, amazing. And just for everybody's benefit out there, you know, Michael, he helped uh, grow a company that I started way back in the old days from zero to 50 million uh, over the course of five years. 
Uh, he went on to another company after that, went from 50 to 100 plus million uh, in a you know similar time frame. Uh, and all of this in marketing and operations and just all kinds of really great accomplishments. So, you know, Michael's got uh, tons of awesomer history, including that very special story we just heard. Um, well, the other one, real quick. Yeah, please. Was it was, was a day with you? We were we were pitching our company on Sand Hill Road, and and if uh, yeah, the, the, there's there's Silicon Valley, which you know is presumably you know the the heart of technology compared to lots of places in China and New York and even you know here in the in Microsoft's backyard and all, but then the the, the heart of of Silicon Valley is Sand Hill Road. And, and I remember we had two meetings on, we had, we had meetings all over the valley, but we had these two meetings on Sand Hill Road where we went in and saw venture capital firms and, and showed them what we were doing and, and wowed them, you know, and, uh, and that was pretty cool, you know, to, to be able to say I've pitched a company on Sand Hill Road. That, that, I never thought I'd do that. Yeah, not only did we do that, as I recall, you and I spent a little time on Madison Avenue uh, doing some PR runs. Yeah, 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 we did that and celebrated with going to Peter Luger. So, oh yeah, one of my favorite places for sure. Um, yeah, I love that. So, boy, there's a lot of good stuff. I don't know if we'll be able to get it all in show notes, but uh, Peter Luger's great steakhouse in uh, in uh, Brooklyn, uh, Brooklyn area. Yeah, right under the bridge, as I recall, or so, yeah. somewhere near it. And when we went, it was a lot sketchier than it is today. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's quite right. Um, how, so before we, uh, we're going to take a break and, and talk uh, kind of about the future and, and some of the ways uh, that uh, you're making a difference today. But before, before we go, do you have a favorite tool or an app or something that, that kind of helps you get by day to day? Obviously, parsimony should be out of the running because you're too biased. But uh, <laughs> any favorite tool or, or uh, you know, app or you know, any little technique that you'd like to share with uh, awesomers out there? Yeah, so you, you got to use what works for you, right? Um, but for me, I'm, I'm pretty visual and, and everything is a story. I mean, you've, you've seen that just talking now and you've put up with it for years. Um, but for me, everything's a story and there are parts to a story. So when, when I've got a problem to solve and I'm, I'm talking about whether I'm trying to write an ad or build an org chart or, um, you know, figure out a process or whatever, I go to Keynote and I'm, you know, like PowerPoint, but, but I go to Keynote on my Mac. I started doing it, I don't know, 10 years ago or something. And I could just sit and I could say, here's a part of the story that I want to tell. And, and in Keynote, I, I had text available to me. I had simple shapes available to me. I could paste in pictures if I needed to. And then I would say, here's another part of the story. And then after a while, I'd have five parts. But I decided that part four really needed to be ahead of part one. And I could just grab the slide and move it up. And... And I could sit and move it all around. And then when I wanted to, I could drop a theme behind it. And all of a sudden, it started to look good. And then I could take the slides that didn't fit anymore, even though they were incredible when I thought of them the first time. And I could just drop them way down to the bottom as a kind of an addendum or a footnote or whatever. And, and I do it all the time. I mean, when my, my, one of my boys needed to do an English assignment the other day, and I did the same thing. I just treated Keynote like an outline. But there was something about that nice, big... Uh, white space where you could, you know, you know, put in a big font, you know, you get to work in, you know, 60 point fonts, you know, and you can drop this thing in. I said, okay, we're going to write a paper. So it's got to be, you know, a five page paper. So we're going to have this beginning and then we're going to have these three points we're going to make. And then we're going to have this summary. And I put together a five slide thing. Okay. Now in the beginning, what are we going to talk about? You know, well, we we're going to talk about these things that dropped them in and, you know, point number one, we should have some substantiation that dropped them in. So I do that. I, I go into Keynote every day and it's, it's, I use it like Evernote. I mean, I just dump stuff in there to catch it and, and it doesn't work for everybody, but I urge it. If you've been thinking that PowerPoint's only for making decks and decks are old school, you're, you're missing out on the secret sauce of the tool. It's, it's yeah, cool. I definitely, that's a very good tip. Uh, Keynote, not only is it uh, powerful with, uh, you know, kind of, they, they have an online version now. You don't even need to have a Mac that yeah. is completely collaborative, uh, similar to Google Docs. And it allows you to have that great power of the visualization combined with the online collaboration. And it is dead simple to use. It is a great tool that I use as well. All right. Well, we're going to take a quick break and then uh, talk about uh, some of the future things that are out there. Uh, we'll be right back. Empowering. The name says it all. 
connecting e-commerce entrepreneurs with great people, ideas, systems, and the services needed to stay business dynamic and to grow. Empowery is a network, a cooperative venture of tools and resources to make you better at what you do, because we love what you do. We are you. Visit Empowery.com to learn more. You're listening to the Awesomers Podcast. Okay, here we are back again with Michael Pinkowski, uh, Parsimony.com, and we're talking a little bit uh, in the past here about uh, the origin and kind of where Michael's experience and so forth came from, but now we're going to ask him to talk a, a little bit about the future and maybe uh, give us a prediction about, you know, kind of where he'll be and what he'll be doing in, in five years. Uh, uh, you know, any futuristic prediction about himself or the industry or the world at large? Uh, well, for me, I, um, I, there is there's one overarching thing that that dominates my mind, um, and that is in in five years, uh, using parsimony, I want to create ten thousand millionaires. That's ten billion dollars worth of value, and. And I honestly believe I can do it. And it's, it's, I'll, I'll do the math fast for you. There's 400,000 or so Amazon sellers out there. I only need 10,000 of them. And really, that's, uh, th- those are 10,000 companies, right? That's, some of those companies have multiple people, a couple of partners. I get to count two or three, whatever. Um, so if I could get a company a day with you know, three people working at it, um, and I, I could, you know, uh, that's 1,000 a year right there. Um, and I want to have in five years, I want to have 10,000, uh, millionaires that were able to build their business because of the, the tools, the, the ease of use, the quality, the reliability, the feature set, um, that, that they got out of parsimony and they were able to, to, uh, to treat it like, um, you know, it's like the old uh, Henry Ford plant where they had the great big drive shaft that ran all the way down the line. And every time they needed to do something, they just you know went in and they threw a belt. So I'm selling the conveyor belt to you again. <laughs> Transmission belt is what they call it. And it's, uh, it's cotton. And <laughs> um, see, they would throw they, this drive shaft would go down the length of the building and they would throw a belt over it and bring it down to a machine. And they would use it to cut or to grind or to polish or whatever at whatever station they were at. And that's a that's a reasonable analogy for parsimony. Um, it is this 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 huge drive shaft that goes through your whole business. It uh, it keeps track of all of your customer interactions from the time they're just leads, and then opportunities, and then customers, and then service you know quests or questions and things like that. It keeps track of all of your orders in minute detail and rolls up into financials. Um, it keeps track of all of your items and all of the costs and all of the changes and all the stuff. That, anyways, this is if you want to work on items or if you want to work on marketing or if you want to work on financials or whatever, it's this drive shaft. You just throw a belt around it, connect it to whatever you want to work on, and and you can do it. Um, and and I genuinely believe that by doing that, we can let the that tool do the work, and then the individual entrepreneurs and awesomers that are out there can benefit because they can do what they're best at, right? They're, they're going to be able to get, you know, just the right um, uh, texture to the body lotion that they're making or just the right blue to the iPhone case that they're making or, you know, just the right, you know, uh, PPC campaign to launch their product or whatever. They can do all that. We'll keep track of the dollars. We'll keep track of the process. We'll make sure it's all tightly integrated and working. And I think they can grow their business a ton. And then when they want to sell it, they go, here are the keys to the motor. And, and I think that makes the company worth a ton, right? Instead of saying, okay, I got these spreadsheets and I got these databases and I got these Word docs and I got this Evernote archive. And there, that's how I run the business. Instead of saying, no, here, I just gave you a user ID on parsimony. You can go in and see all of it. Yeah, it is really um, an important thing for entrepreneurs in particular and awesomers at large to try to figure out how to build equity into whatever you're doing. And the way in, you know, that I've always uh, looked at business is, you know, you start with strategy, you move on to systems, and then you use the systems to leverage for scale. And one of the challenges, especially with up and coming emerging companies without a big budget is they don't have access to world-class technology 
And that's really part of the point of parsimony is to be able to deliver something that is sophisticated and what the big guys are using, but let the little guys pay for it uh, effectively. In other words, they can afford it. Yeah. And that's, that is something that is uh, not today delivered. And I love your big vision because it really is all about adding value to, to the folks out there. And it is a really important gauntlet to throw down because so many people need systems and it's, it's challenging because, you know, systems bring a level of comprehensiveness, which brings complexity and yeah. those things have to always be balanced. Yeah. Yeah. But I, we, we've done this before, you know, we we did it to grow our own businesses. I've done it at other businesses where I work. Uh, I've seen the power of it. I've got the experience and, and, um, and, you know, we're going to put together a team that really cares about delivering overwhelming value to these folks. And we're going to stick with them um, so that they, they can get through this and, and kind of learn the parsimony way, you know, that these details matter. You got to track this stuff because that's, that's adding value and information and, and, uh, and making your business grow. Yep. I, I totally agree. It is, you know, there, there's almost nothing more important to me when it comes to scaling a business than having the systems in place and then getting the team to operate those systems. That's actually the secret to scale. And too often people get caught up into, um, you know, distractions that, that may be, you know, uh, this little thing or that little thing, but it's, it's not a silver bullet. There, there's, there's no silver bullet that's going to make it. It's, it's just kind of a consistent long-term effort to utilize a, um, a systemic approach to doing business. And, yeah. you know, nothing's ever perfect, but trying to get as much as you can into one, one area seems like a, a really good move. And that's, that's kind of our vision behind parsimony. And, and I'm, I'm glad Michael's on the job by uh, helping us out. I, I can't wait to see that uh, uh, 10,000 uh, millionaires out there using parsimony come true. Yeah. Yeah, that's um, going to happen. So uh, how do we find you online, Michael? What's, uh, you know, not necessarily you directly, but how do we get in touch with the company? So parsimony, P-A-R-S-I-M-O-N-Y.com um, is there. And you can learn a little more about it. There's a discussion forum if you want to come in and ask some questions and, and stuff like that. Um, my email address is michael at parsimony.com. And um, you can uh, always reach out to me. I'm uh, I'll, I'll reply as quick as I can. Yeah, it's uh, it's nice to be able to have the president of a company still be able to talk to folks and uh, get it before it's gone because uh, schedules get booked up. Uh, but I will say this, um, you know, a lot of people ask, you know, what does parsimony mean? And and I've talked about the, the philosophy of Occam's razor a number of times, also known as the law of parsimony. Actually, most people pronounce it parsimony, I believe. <laughs> Um, and, but we, we've adapted, I tend to make up words, uh, awesomers, uh, not necessarily my own incarnation, but adopting uh, made up words is uh, something I like to do. And my definition of parsimony is kind of doing more with less, right? We all as entrepreneurs and awesomers need to get more done, but without, without more time invested, without more money invested, we need to, we need to leverage the thing. And that's really the, the heart of what parsimony is all about. Don't you agree? Absolutely. That's, that's what we're trying to do. And we know it works, right? This is not our first time down this road. We've, we've made all the other mistakes. We've, made, we've had all the other failures. We know what the right answer is. And now we just want to make it available to 10,000 folks so that they can grow their business. Yeah. For those uh, keeping score at home, uh, you know, when I talk about my first million dollar day attempt, uh, it really comes down to utilizing you know, it was actually called parsimony, although this is a more modern incarnation, using a system so that we don't melt down versus one of my very early days in 1999 selling online that, you know, we, over the course of two weeks, we did $40,000 and it brought us to our knees. We had to take the phone number off the website. We melted because we weren't ready to scale over just a simple $40,000 in 14 days. And, you know, uh, several years later, by putting systems in place, we were able to set a goal and end up accomplishing, uh, you know, more than a million dollars a day. And, and we'll talk more about that another time. So the systems really are the key to scale once you combine the team along with them that can use the system. So yeah. that's really good. Uh, Michael, how about any final words of wisdom for the awesomers uh, out there? Uh, yeah. Uh, go. <laughs> uh, take action. Do something. Um, you know, get, get into motion, go be, be an athlete, be an artist, be in love, be somebody, be yourself, but, but be, 
and then strong. Um, you've got muscles, you've got strengths, put them to work. Don't be afraid of sweat. Um, uh, they leverage what you've got to make a difference. Go be strong. Well said, Michael. I appreciate you joining us today and thanks for taking the time out. Oh, happy to do it. And would love to talk to anybody that's got other questions about anything. I, uh, I love helping folks out. Yep, no doubt about that. We'll have Michael on again where we dive a little deeper into the Awesome Authority uh, uh, segment where we talk about, you know, what does the software do and why does it do it that way and, and uh, get into more detail. But uh, I sure enjoyed, uh, you know, filling in some of the blanks on the, uh, the origin story that I didn't know. And uh, we'll uh, talk a little bit more, but uh, first we'll be right back. Catalyst 88 was developed to help entrepreneurs achieve their short and long-term goals in e-commerce markets by utilizing the power of shared entrepreneurial wisdom. Entrepreneurship is nothing if not lessons to be learned. Learn from others. Learn from us. I guarantee that we will learn from you. Visit Catalyst88.com because your success is our success. A giddy up. Well, Michael's story is certainly something that I uh, always find inspiring and uh, I just really appreciate the fact that, you know, he's been a part of so many different uh, companies and was able to make a, an impact in each of those companies that helped their growth. Uh, Michael's understanding of kind of finance as well as marketing is unique and something that I think is very uh, helpful to entrepreneurs around the world. And really his leadership for the Parsimony.com company is something that uh, is absolutely to be respected, admired. Uh, if you haven't already checked out parsimony.com, you should go and do that now. Uh, but don't forget that we have the show notes at awesomers.com slash 15, because this is episode number 15. And now's a good time to go ahead and subscribe, like, share it with a friend. Uh, heck, you can even leave us a review if you want. Well, we've done it again, everybody. We have another episode of the Awesomers podcast ready for the world. Thank you for joining us, and we hope that you've enjoyed our program today. Now's a good time to take a moment to subscribe, like, and share this podcast. Heck, you can even leave a, a review if you wanted. Awesomers around you will appreciate your help. It's only with your participation and sharing that we'll be able to achieve our goals. Our success is literally in your hands. Thank you again for joining us. We are at your service. Find out more about me, Steve Simonson, our guest, team, and all the other Awesomers involved at awesomers.com. Thank you again. Dot com.